And so you kind of gut through it and it gives you confidence in the future that no matter how bad something is, you know, you can probably get through it, right? There are some things that of course could kill a company, but most won't. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. What's the number one problem all businesses face? It's not sales, marketing, or product market fit. It's hiring. We know just how hard it is, so we've compiled 25 hiring tips from top CEOs that I've interviewed here on Growth Everywhere and put it into a free resource just for you. Text 25 tips to 33444 to get the free resource now. Again, it is 25 to number 25 tips, T-I-P-S, to double three triple four, and you'll get the free resource. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere. And I should say this edition of Growth Everywhere, since we're doing two again, keep forgetting. But uh, welcome to this edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Nick Maida. Did I just butcher that, Nick? No, that was great. Thanks. All right, perfect. We have Nick Maida, who's the CEO of Gainsight, the customer success company, which helps businesses grow faster by reducing churn, increasing upsells, and driving customer advocacy. His last company, Live Office, was acquired by 100, or for $150 million by Symantec. Nick, how are you doing today? Eric, I'm doing great. I love your energy. Great to talk <laughs> yeah. to you. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you talk a little bit about your background and how it led to the gain site, to where you are now? Yeah, it's funny. I, I tell this story a decent amount where my, my story at Gainsight started when I was a kid, if you can believe it. My, um, so I've been around technology my whole life. I was fortunate to have you know, uh, great parents. And my, my dad actually worked in the early technology industry. He was at a company in the 70s called Digital Equipment Corporation, which was a big computer manufacturer. That's, and that then was he, my first computer. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. And then he ran some uh, software companies in the 80s and 90s in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I grew up. And you know, back in that time, and in, in, in any business back in that era, you know, he he told me something that I think applied to every company back then, which was if you go into business, make sure you work in either sales or product, because after the sale, everything else is overhead. And so that was kind of almost what I grew up with. I always joke to my friends that other dads taught their kids how to play baseball or how to meet girls, and I, I learned uh, all about. Uh, software business, but it turned out to be quite useful later. And it's interesting because that that story lived with with me for a long time. I um, I came to California after college, uh, did my own internet startup, but then got into enterprise software and uh, worked at Symantec for a long time. Had a great time there. Um, but that model was still true even to that day, where it was just about you know building products and selling them. Those were the two core things. And then I went to run my first SaaS subscription business, this company Live Office that you alluded to. And Live Office was a fast-growing company doing great. And I came in with that old playbook, which was just build the product and sell it, build the product and sell it. And on the job, I learned that that playbook was broken for the new world because obviously these customers weren't committing to us for life in a SaaS model. They were committing to try us out maybe for a month, maybe for a year. And if we didn't figure out how to drive value, they would leave us. And then we started to see our churn rate go up at Live Office. And um, I had taken it for granted the customers were going to stay. And so actually, um, unwittingly, I got into customer success in that job where I got really deep 
even though I was a CEO, on customer success. We built a great team. I had an amazing leader. We built a lot of internal custom systems to track our customers, to measure their health, to predict renewals. Um, and I had no idea some company would be solving this problem holistically. But after selling uh, Live Office to Symantec and taking some time off, I was figuring out what I wanted to do next. I got introduced to the founder of Gainsight. Um, we really hit it off. And I was just so passionate about this mission because I felt it firsthand. And that was about two and a half years ago. You know, since then, I've probably talked with more than a thousand companies about how they're managing their customers. And um, this whole concept is definitely going mainstream. Awesome. And what is, I mean, to the audience, can you explain what customer success is and what it ultimately means? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's interesting because, you know, customer success started really in the SaaS world. You know, companies like Salesforce early on, now almost every SaaS company realize that alongside marketing and sales and finance and product, you need a group proactively thinking about your customers. It's not just about responding to customer support. It's actually about making sure that when they buy, the reason they bought the whole goal is actually achieved in the, in the contract. You know, you're driving the, if it's software to help you get leads, you're helping them get leads. Software to help them close deals, you're helping them close deals. And so customer success is about proactively understanding and kind of defining what the customer means by success measuring and determining whether you're actually hitting that success internally, driving your company internally and the customer towards that success, and then demonstrating to the customer that they're getting it. And so the end result of all of that is obviously they're more likely to renew and buy more. But if you zoom out a little bit, we think this applies not just to SaaS companies, but to every B2B business, because fundamentally, every B2B business now doesn't have its customers locked in forever, right? You're getting a small initial sale, and then they're paying you over time. And so it's not just about the sale, but we think every B2B business is kind of rethinking the way they manage their customers to move to a more customer success-centric mindset. Got it. And around customer success, I mean, what kind of metrics can you share just to show how, you know, how this stuff is really working? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I think any good uh, business that has repeat or recurring revenue measures a few different core metrics, right? So one metric is obviously how fast are you growing? And that's clearly very important. Another metric is how much does it cost to acquire a new customer? And that's obviously where the sales and marketing world is focused. But a third core metric is all about what people refer to as net retention. Net retention is the idea that if you think about an airplane flying in the, in the air, you know, the, the headwind is the things working against you. The tailwind is the things helping you, right? And so in, in subscription businesses, the headwind is your churn, your customers leaving you. The tailwind is customers spending more, what people call upsell and cross-sell. The sum of those two is your net retention. And so uh, any recurring revenue business or subscription business thinks about net retention. How do I improve net retention? And so we think that the, the key to that is break it apart and say, how do I reduce my churn by finding customers that are going to leave and getting to them before they've committed to leave, right? Because we all been to, we've dealt with customers that have already decided to leave. You can't do anything. So that's number one is getting to the right customers early, making sure they're getting value before they change their mind and decide to leave. And then number two is obviously finding the happy customers that might be ready to buy more or maybe do a reference or be an advocate on your behalf. So those two things added together improve your net retention rate. And one of the cool things is investors really understand this now, how important it is. It's not just about kind of putting new customers into the top of the funnel. It's about how many you can keep at the bottom. And so they routinely ask companies not just what's your growth and your customer acquisition cost, but what's your net retention rate? What are you doing around customer success? Got it. Okay, great. And I'm assuming, I mean, you know, you look at all this, it sounds really complicated right now. And I'm, I have to assume, you know, Gainsight makes this all really easy for you. So at a high level, I mean, you know, what does Gainsight look like to a customer? 
Yeah, well, I, one thing I always like to say to be realistic in software is software is still 5 to 10% of the problem, and we do make that 5 to 10% a lot easier, a lot more manageable. You know, 90% of all business problems are actually around people, organization, motivation. And so in that world, we actually do a lot. We run this big annual conference about customer success best practices. We have an online university to teach people customer success, do salary benchmarking. We do local groups to get people together. So that's the 90%. Now, the 10% is software. You know, obviously, if you want to do customer success, you know, there's many ways to do it. You've got a lot of data about your customers. You can manually review all the data in Microsoft Excel or a Google spreadsheet. You can kind of manually send emails to customers. We're all about taking that kind of the people that you have and make more leverage and helping them scale. And specifically, we do things to make that happen. Uh, number one is... For your highest value customers, if you're a B2B company, our software is going to help you get all the data together about that customer before you meet with them in a way that gets you prepared for the meeting really quickly, lets you actually show some of that data to the customer so they can see how they're using our product and how value they're getting. We call that customer 360, being really prepared and actually being able to show the data to the customer in in auto-generated PowerPoint presentations, things like that. The second value prop is what we call cockpit. And the idea there is if I've got a large number of customers and I'm an account manager or CSM, which one should I reach out to today? You know, maybe the one that's coming up for renewal that has a lot of risk, maybe one that has opportunity to sell more to. The system helps me prioritize my time and gives me playbooks, standards of actions for each of those customers. And then the third thing we do is for your smallest customers, where you're not going to be able to afford a human touch every time. We have a, a, a model that we call Tech Touch of a product called Copilot um, that's going to help you for your smaller customers automate some of those communications so they get automated emails from you at different triggers in the life cycle. So, for example, if they give you negative survey feedback, they get an email that says, hey, I noticed you gave us some negative feedback. Love to talk to you about it more. If they haven't used a new feature you just released, they get an email that says, hey, here's a video on how to use that new feature. But the email comes from you as a CSM. It's very personal. It's very personalized. And then it's all tracked so you can see how those customers are engaging with it. Got it. So if I'm a CSM, I mean, this, you know, Gainsight, it sounds like, you know, for the bigger customers, there's there's a template, there's a playbook for me to look at, you know, so people people know that there's a process to go by, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And so the, the, the idea is, especially as you're growing, and this industry is actually pretty new, as you pointed out, a lot of people in the CSM, STEM world have never done this before, and they need some guidance, especially you're hiring new people, and they need guidance on how it works at your company. Our playbooks help that CSM get up to speed very quickly. Got it. Okay. And how many uh, how many users does Gainsight have today? Yeah, so we sell to you know B two B companies. So we've got got um, just actually just across two hundred companies using our solution today. And one of the great things about this is you know we've been fortunate to work with a lot of the pioneers in this new business model. Um, the people that I think a lot of other folks want to learn from, we work with a lot of the best in-class SaaS companies like Marketo, Box, and Workday. And then we work with a lot of the best um, tech companies and traditional companies trying to move to the cloud, companies like Adobe, BMC, and CA. Um, so we're working with companies that you know have been born in the cloud and companies are trying to almost be reborn in the cloud and then helping them redesign their business around customer success. Got it. And you said, I'm sorry, you kind of cut off there. Was it 400? Oh, we have t- just crossed 200 customers. 200 customers. Okay. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously, if you're working with the big dogs of the world, I j- just so the, the, you know, the, the audience can get some insight, how much does Gainsight cost at the, at the low end? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's similar to buying Salesforce in terms of the, 
You're buying it based on the number of people in the company that are working with uh, your customers. Um, and so it's a, it's a subscription with, when they then have a one-time, one-time setup fee. Um, and so, you know, uh, sometimes we have a lot of startup customers that are getting started with us, and not many of them are paying us $3,000 a month uh, plus a setup fee on top of that. So it's, it's not something that you typically buy at the very beginning when you just have an idea. But as you're starting to scale, we do have kind of packages for companies as they maybe receive venture funding and are getting started. And then obviously our larger customers are paying us well into six figures and you know, eventually into seven figures as well. Got it. So, you know, if I'm starting out, you know, I'm, let's say, you know, seed round or even pre-seed round or maybe because I've read from you in the past, you know, it's always time to focus on customer success in the beginning, right? So, you know, how do, if people can't afford Gainsight, how do they go about the customer development or customer success process? Yeah, it, it, that's a great question. And we actually, um, we really think we're very aligned with, I know Jason Lemkin's been on your show, kind of the same approach Saster and, and he takes for the community which is we have a community, which is the way we want to engage broadly. And really, whether somebody ever buys our software or not, we want to help them be great at customer success. And so we'd encourage every startup, every CEO or customer success person to come to our events. We have a conference every year. We're doing a conference in Europe now. We do local groups in different cities. We have a great content on our website about how to hire people, what to look for, and your new CSMs, compensation data, um, we have an online university. So those are all ways that we'd love to engage with anyone just trying to learn. And then obviously at some point as our company scale, our software can help as well. But yeah, all, everything we do in the community is all about helping startups kind of get this right from day one. Got it. So it sounds like a lot of a lot of content marketing is working out well for you, right? Yeah, it's funny too because you know I sometimes worry that these terms like content marketing, they get kind of a little bit, um, they get tainted a little bit because it's sort of, makes it sound like it's just from a marketing context. Obviously, eventually, we certainly want to make, make money and this, we're a business, we've got to make profit. But the way we think about all of our content and our events is purely how do we make people great at customer success. We, we believe that if enough people are great at customer success, some of them will need our software, buy it, and we'll be able to make money. But you'll see, we try to avoid any kind of bias towards our product or technology in our, in our content. It's really about education. And actually, it's even more so about connecting people together because the best learning people have in our community is not from Gainsight, but from each other. Got it. Love it. So let's switch to user acquisition for a little bit. How did you acquire your first, let's say, 50 customers? Yeah, great, great question. So, you know, the company went through a few different phases, probably like most companies do, you know, Customer what, zero through six, we're kind of in that customer development, co-development phase. Really, the product wasn't you know, really fully built yet. And that was kind of finding some customers that, frankly, believed in the idea and hoped that we could figure it out, but weren't really buying for the product as much as the concept and our ability to execute. Um, and then you, then you kind of, I think, after, you know, call it six or ten customers, then you start getting into a level where you're trying to find the repeatable sales motion you know, you probably, most of the companies are listening here probably have, you know, tried hiring different types of people, different marketing tactics. So you're kind of in a lot of experimentation mode. We'd have, you know, hired, a, you know, probably three or four different types of sales reps. Um, you know, did obviously went to different events like Dreamforce, did lots of content like we talked about before. Content's been something that we've done throughout, which has been good. We started our conference very early in our evolution, which has been the best thing we've ever done. It's called Pulse. And we the first year we did it, we had about 300 people there. Last year, we had 900 people. This past, uh, just a month ago, we had 2,070 people. And so basically, in kind of phase one was customer development. 
Phase two was the early go-to-market experimenting with different types of reps and different types of events. Phase three was kind of the early part of scaling the sales team, hiring our VP of sales, um, hiring, going from like two reps to like, I don't know, eight or nine. Now we're in phase four, which is kind of, you know, you're getting more sophisticated about the pipeline, about forecasting. You've got, you know, multiple layers of sales management. Um, you're talking about international expansion. So we're in kind of that next phase now. Got it. Okay. So when you talk about, I mean, the, the conference part is, is, is especially interesting to me because a lot of people don't do conferences, but I always feel like that's, you know, that's a return that that's an investment that's worth it. So how do you, you know, how do you pitch a conference to people internally and say, hey, this is going to be worth it. This is going to be worth our while. Let's go ahead and do it. Well, it's really great. It's a great question because I think like all of us in the technology industry assume that, you know, with technology, what's the point of trying to meet people in person? You know, you can do uh, blogs, you can do webinars, you know, there's no need to meet people in person. I'll say like, the best thing we've ever done is our conference. And frankly, so many companies come to us now and ask us what, how to do a conference, what we've learned. We learn from them as well. So I think it's a very hot topic. Um, a couple comments on it. So number one, in terms of like why to do it, I think you're, one of the things that people don't realize is in enterprise software, it's not about the software. It's about actually understanding the job and how to do a job really well and then encoding it in the software, right? So Gainsight is not some magical company that figured everything out on their own. We've actually talked to so many people and so many customer success people and just encoded their knowledge in software. And so the people are so important, right? And that's why face-to-face, it's such a great opportunity. That's number one is really understanding that as a software company, you're taking people's knowledge and putting it in the software. Number two is that you can't, it's amazing how much value people get meeting each other, particularly if they're in a shared job function or they have shared pain. And so you can be a, a forum, really like a party, you know, like I'm, we, we think of ourselves like the, the host of the party, you know. We're not the, we're not the ones like putting on the event. We're just setting it up. And they, the, the customers, the people there are, are actually running the event, getting them to connect with each other, things like that. Then you learn a lot along the way. Um, obviously, by doing this, you build a lot of mindshare, and we certainly have built tons of mindshare through, through this event. Now, in terms of convincing internally, one of the things I would say is the first one is basically on faith. You can do whatever math you want, but it's basically on faith. And you have to believe, if you believe you have a unique thing to talk about and a, a group of people that's passionate about that topic, those are the two things that are really important. Don't do a conference about something that's not new and different and that people aren't excited about. That's going to be a waste of time. But the first one's on faith. Now, as you go, you can start measuring the secondary impact. You know, we, of course, measure now, you know, how many new people do we get to talk to because of the conference, meaning they come to the conference and meet us for the first time. How many um, existing sales opportunities are influenced by the conference? I've seen uh, the way Salesforce tracks Dreamforce, and they use the same types of things. You know, new stuff brought in and then acceleration of existing deals. But I would say to, to do it right, you got to start with the core concept that you just believe in the idea of getting people together, and then it can go really well. Huh, interesting. So, I mean, you, you talk about how Salesforce tracks Dreamforce. I'm assuming they just, you know, they're just looking at the time it takes to close a deal and they're just tracking it all in Salesforce or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, what I, I, again, I, I'm not an expert, of course, on it didn't work there. But what mm-hmm. I saw from a recent presentation was they track the number of new opportunities, new, new customers that they get to engage with. And then, but almost everyone knows Salesforce, obviously, right? So there's not that, that much new anymore. So the more important thing they track is like the customers that, come to Dreamforce versus not, you know, do they buy at a higher rate and do they spend more money, right? And so the idea is, is Dreamforce helping to accelerate and expand deals? And I think it intuitively makes sense because, you know, 
customers come to your event, they get to meet your other customers, they learn from them. I mean, a big part of it is, you know, as a vendor, stop talking and let your customers talk, right? And the events are a great opportunity to do that. Got it. Okay. Now, when you're starting out with these conferences, do you recommend, you know, if it's a startup, you know, do, do you recommend them starting like with a with a small panel first? Or do you recommend going like a little more gung-ho and having like, uh, you know, having, having, you know, a speaker per hour or something like that, like a full-blown conference? How would you approach it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think you, you know, if you're if you're kind of young company, you know, you can start as small as possible. You literally could start with a dinner and like ten people, right? And I, that's probably how you want to start because you want to start building a, a group of advocates to help you at this conference. So you know, you can imagine the first thing is like a dinner, and then the second thing is like a like a late afternoon plus drinks, and then the third one is maybe half day, and then the fourth one maybe is a full day, and then maybe the fifth one's like a day and a half, and you know, just keep going, right? And so I think you have to earn credibility and kind of build your fan base. Um, now, in terms of format, I do have some thoughts on that. I, 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 I think you want to mix it up. You know, so there's no perfect answer in terms of like panel versus speaker versus interactive. But I do think you should mix it up. I think the one thing people do uh, wrong is just do all panel. Um, and all panel, really, the, the amount of content you get is very low. It's kind of boring. Um, if you do a panel get a great moderator, right? It's all on the moderator to ask. You're like, you're doing a good job of right now, right? Ask good questions, make <laughs> it funny. Um, don't let people repeat what the last person said. Try to change the question as you go. Don't ask the same question to every presenter. So if you do panels, get a great moderator. But what I'd encourage you to do is maybe have a panel and then have a speaker and then maybe do something interactive where the audience is involved, right? So try to mix it up. Cool, makes sense. Love it. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. When you, you know, when you're growing the business, I mean, tell us about one big struggle you face while growing Gainsight. Yeah, that's, that's great. I have to pick one. There's so many. Uh, and it's funny because it, one thing that's interesting is no matter how many times you do it, it, it never gets easier. The, the problems <laughs> change. I think the upside gets bigger because you can probably do bigger things. But um, yeah, it's, there's challenges all the time. I think, so, you know, if I, I'll just pick a couple off the top of my head. Um, I think, you know, one thing that, companies that we had to do, and I think a lot of SaaS and tech companies have to do, is really understand their target market well. And this sounds obvious, but one way to think about it and what the really good forcing function is what is your ideal deal size? And you asked me that question right up front, how much does it cost to buy Gainsight? And so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you can imagine there is a market for companies that are really early stage, maybe some on this podcast that are Want to, are able to spend $500 a month, right? And there actually are some solutions, I think, that can get you started maybe in just web analytics, like a mixed panel at that level. But, you know, and the flip side, you know, we have customers paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or more. And so, you know, for us, we basically had to say, where are we really valuable? Where, you know, our product is actually super sophisticated, but definitely designed for bigger companies. It does like everything you can imagine, but, you know, probably more than a lot of the you know, three-person startups really need, right? So get really understanding your ASP and are you going to be a high-value, probably longer sales cycle company? You're going to be a lower-friction, low-value company. What you don't want to do is be a low-value, high-friction company. You know, you don't want to be a, a, a company that gets $10,000 a year out of a customer, but you need to do a six-month sales cycle. That's just a recipe for disaster. So really understanding the ASP, getting comfortable that I'm going to leave some stuff on the table. You know, I'm not going to, there is a customer out there probably on this podcast who's willing to buy customer success software for, you know, $1,000 a month. And, and there's good things out there. Gainsight's not one of them, you know. And being able to confidently say that, um, that's number one. That took some time because you never want to say no. 
Number, and I think that changes everything about your marketing, who your VP of sales is, how you go to market, your product development. And then the second one I think is um, on internal culture, um, you know, understanding a little bit about how you're driven and what you care about in terms of how the departments work together. Um, I think there's some companies that are just like, okay, we're just going to be product oriented and nothing else matters. Um, and that's okay as long as the business really fits that model. A consumer business works well that way, right? Um, I think in a lot of SaaS businesses, you got to understand like how do these pieces fit together and how are you going to keep everything aligned? Because frankly, in most SaaS businesses, if you just focus on sales or you just focus on product, everything falls apart. So thinking through how the departments work together practically, like your cadence for meeting on a weekly basis, your all-hands communications, your goal setting, a lot of the things that are kind of management 101, I think in a SaaS business are very important because all the pieces have to fit together. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. Um, was there at any point or any time when the company was on the brink of failure? So um, not yet at Gainsight. Uh, we've been blessed to be in such a great time for SaaS companies, luckily a good time for customer success. We've been fortunate to have amazing investors, great people. So the honest answer is not yet at Gainsight and hopefully never. However, my last company, you know, I, it was an amazing and a great outcome, but you know, we almost ran out of money due to a billing issue, literally. Uh, we, even though we were kind of generating revenue, we weren't collecting it. We had massive uh, IT and data outages. We, um, I had to you know, let go of a key executive like very early on. We had a, um, our, our, we had to renegotiate our debt during the financial crisis, which is the worst time ever to renegotiate debt. So wow. yeah, I have been through some near death crises in the past. So tell us about one of them. I mean, how do you deal with those situations? I mean, those are like those are make or break situations where you're pulling your hair out, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the sad reality is I don't think it's it, going through it is actually probably part of it. It's like the first one was really hard, you know, like like, um, you know, basically what happened was we uh, were a subscription business. We didn't actually have any venture capital in the company The or we had some investors, but they had bought shares from our founders. So we didn't have any real money, even though we had a decent amount of revenue. And so therefore, if the bills didn't go out, even though we were technically getting revenue, we would run out of money. And so we implemented a new billing system, great product, um, but um, we screwed up the implementation. My, my executive running it just wasn't you know, on that and we ended up letting him go. And in that process, you know, the bills didn't go out, the bank accounts started dropping. We didn't realize it till almost the end. Um, we were talking about how, you know, we were literally down to, as you, if you go to an amusement park and you go on one of those rides where you kind of jump off a ledge and you almost hit the water, we literally almost hit the water. I think our, our low bank account balance was like $10,000, you know, from like millions of dollars. And we were talking about not getting paid and taking, taking no salary for a while. And this is a company with hundreds of 150 people. So it was very scary. And honestly, like the scariest thing I've been through professionally, um, it, you know, one thing, a couple of things that did help. One was, it's funny, the story is almost uh, very dramatic. We actually had a, one of our investors had an associate who was a former Navy SEAL, not kidding. And he flew down to our office and helped us through this. And actually, it was kind of reassuring having a Navy SEAL with us because, frankly, that dude's been through so much more than like a little company riding out of money. So we, we, it put us in perspective. But the guy was just very organized and just diligent. It was kind of like, you can stress about the emotions or you can just literally go and we built a schedule of every customer and every bill and we would get pizza at night and like make sure every bill went out and we'd, you know, control all the cash, every single expense, every check, you know? And so you kind of got through it. 
and it gives you confidence in the future that no matter how bad something is, you know, you can probably get through it, right? There are some things that, of course, could kill a company, but most won't. And I think most people will probably overstate, you know, the risk of a given situation. Got it. So I think the key takeaway here is just to stay calm. Stay as much as possible. Yeah, it's not easy. (laughs) Cool. You know, I I was reading something earlier about, uh, and this might be related to you, but you talk about the golden rule. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure most people on the call have heard, you know, obviously age-old concept of, you know, doing unto others as you would have done unto you. And, you know, in, in much more simple English, it's like, you know, you, you have all these people that you work with and as well as customers and investors and treat them the way you'd want to be treated. Um, very, very simple concept. Very, very hard to do, right? Because, you know, that customer that's really angry and being impolite at you, um, yelling at you maybe, or that, that uh, teammate that just sent you a really tough email, you know, your human reaction is to kind of fight fire with fire, eye for an eye, whatever you want to call it, right? But how do you apply the golden rule and say, well, that person is coming to me with this stress probably because of some other issue. You know, the customer that's angry at me probably has a lot of pressure internally from their boss, and they maybe feel embarrassed about the situation and are taking it out on you. The teammate that sent you that email maybe is worried about making their goals, has stress at home perhaps, right? Um, and so really trying to put yourself in the shoes of that person and then try to act in a way that you'd want to be treated. Again, very, very hard to do, but something we're very passionate about at Gainsight. Love it. Cool. So is, is, would that be one of your, your core values? Yeah, we have three core values. The, the golden rule, success for all, meaning we want to drive success for our business, our customers, our teammates, and their families. And then what we call childlike joy, which is the idea of bringing the inner child in all of us to work every day. Love it. can totally see that emanating from you, all three of those. Thanks. Um, what is one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? <laughs> um, if, if Google calls, take the job offer. <laughs> <laughs> Explain that. No, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't actually have a job offer in Google. But it is pretty interesting how, obviously, over time, if you're in the Valley or anywhere else, you see these people that in different amazing success stories and you got to keep your own sanity that you know, you'll eventually have some of those yourself. Um, but if I was 25, at the 25 year old, I think that the one thing, and it's so true now, and it was, it was true back then, but especially now, don't underestimate like how much value your, your lack of kind of, uh, training and experience can bring versus somebody else's extensive experience. So, you know, I, I started it, uh, it was one of the co-founders of an internet company in the nineties and in college. And then, you know, we, came to California and raised venture capital and it was super fun, hired a whole management team. And back then it was very different where like, you know, if you were young people, you, you'd hire outside executives and, and they'd run the company, right? And, and now like I'm, here I am like, you know, a little old, you know, 30, I'm 38. So it, by valley terms, getting on the older side, I guess. And, you know, I meet some of these folks who are like 21 years old and running a SaaS company and they've never sold a businesses before, but their ideas are just as good, if not better than mine, because they're not like stuck in the old models. You know, and so I would say to the 25-year-old self, your ideas are just as good as the person you're hearing on the pod, from on the podcast. You might think that that person has it all figured out, but you have just as much value to add as they do. And don't ever feel like you should defer to them or assume they're right or assume the things that worked in the past work in the future. Now, you should try to learn and all that, right? So definitely listen, but don't let it, kinda, I, I don't let it dampen your own confidence in yourself. Great perspective. How do you uh, how do you structure your day? Yeah, um, 
Good question. You know, obviously, you know, like everyone kind of work, I'm a creature of the calendar, but I do try to be thoughtful about it. Um, so one thing I thought that's been very effective for me is um, the stacking. So kind of, I think, you know, Jack Dorsey wrote about this and mm. uh, other people, right? So, you know, one thing is like all of the management stuff in terms of like team executive meeting, like all hands, et cetera, we try to do on the same day. So actually Monday, it's, it's pretty intense, but you know, Monday eight to 10 is like our kind of executive meeting with my team. And you know, we have a bigger company, so a bigger executive meeting. And then actually it's eight to nine is the core executive meeting. Nine to nine thirty is the like meeting about, you know, uh, uh, customer success and, uh, customers and nine thirty to 10 is, is product is, um, sales and marketing. And then 10 to ten thirty, we take all of that and then share it with the whole company and kind of a stand up, like a, we call it the huddle. Um, and then I do my one-on-one. So it's like, it's pretty mind numbing on the first, you know, it's fun, but you know, a lot of meetings on Monday, but I, then I try to keep like Tuesday to Friday clear for customers thinking product, et cetera. So that's, that's one thing I try to do. Um, a second thing I try to do is, um, uh, to, you know, obviously to try to do, to look at my week before and after. And actually it's kind of a good accountability thing I do, which is every Sunday night on our internal communication system, we, we use chatter from Salesforce, but you know, it could be whatever you use like Slack or Yammer. I post like, what are the things that I have going this week? Um, and how many customers I'm meeting, how many prospects I'm meeting, how many interviews I'm doing. And it's actually like, it's for the company to give them transparency in what the CEO does, but it's also for me to analyze my week. And I'm like, wow, I'm meeting a lot of customers. That's great. Or why am I not meeting any customers this week? Or how come I'm not spending any time on product? Like it's a actually review of the calendar in advance. And then also I list what I hope to get done. That's not on the calendar this week. And then the next week I go do that post again and I look at the previous post. I'm like, wait, why didn't I get that done? You know? And so it's actually a really interesting thing, transparent to the company. We also, by the way, share all of our calendars, details, everything. So everyone sees every, everyone's calendar, including mine. And so it's like you're transparent about where you're spending your time, but you're also holding yourself accountable kind of through the peer group. Huh. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that too. I never thought of it that way. Um, okay. What's one must read book you'd recommend to everyone? Yeah, in, in um, in, in, I'm assuming you mean business book. Could be any book. Could be uh, could be Bearstein Bears or something. <laughs> I like it. Well, I'll give you two. Um, uh, I uh, well, on the personal side, I'm, I'm a huge reader, and I love I love uh, I, I read you know kind of all the time. Um, I'll say uh, modern uh, fiction would be Mar- The Martian, uh, which is a great book about a guy stranded on Mars. Uh, science fiction uh, uh, classic would be uh, Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. You know about time travel and. A really amazing book. But then if you're talking about the, this audience and maybe startups, I'm not a huge fan of business books, to be honest. I don't read many business books. I like reading fiction. But the one business book I've, I've read in a long time that I was like, damn, that guy nailed it, is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben, ben Horowitz. Um, you know, he, the thing that's great about that book, and a lot of people probably on this, uh, this, webcast have, uh, this podcast have read the book, is the great thing about the book is in a way, he tries to give lessons by admitting there's no lessons, you know, kind of like what I was saying before that, you know, people on this podcast have just as much to add as, as someone like myself. And Ben, you know, in the book, he kind of admits that in every one of the lessons in his life, it's not really a lesson because it's not like there's a general rule. Frankly, if, if, if there was a rule about how you can run a company, it'd be easy to do. And so I like the honesty in that book. So I highly recommend that one. Got it. I think, I think what you're getting at, I mean, it really... It, each situation, it depends, right? So that's right, right? Yeah, I, I think no, great book. I mean, I think uh, I, just, I was just doing the math right now. Twenty-seven point five percent of podcast guests recommend that book, so that just goes to show you how good it is. That's really interesting. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So Nick, thanks so much for doing this. I mean, what's the best way for people to find you online? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely uh, always trying to be reachable. So, you know, I'm on, you can find me at NRMeta, so N-R-M-E-H-T-A on Twitter. And I'm pretty engaged, engaged, so I'm happy to respond back. And obviously, hit me up on LinkedIn if you want as well. Awesome. Everyone, this is Nick Meta from Gainsight. Make sure you, if you're in software as a service or really any type of business that you're focusing on customer success, check out their blog. They've got some great stuff. And if you're in Silicon or in the Bay Area, make sure to check out their conference as well. Nick, so thank, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks a lot. Really enjoyed it. What's the number one problem all businesses face? It's not sales, marketing, or product market fit. It's hiring. We know just how hard it is. So we've compiled 25 hiring tips from top CEOs that I've interviewed here on Growth Everywhere and put it into a free resource just for you. Text 25 tips to 33444 to get the free resource now. Again, it is 25 to number 25 tips, T-I-P-S to double three, triple four, and you'll get the free resource. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.